this is Runehammer. RPG Talks. Design theory, Q&A, and counter methods, story building, DM deep thinking, and game building. It's all right here. So strap in, and may your dice roll high. Greetings, everybody. Welcome, and it's good to have you back on the show. This is the first episode of RPG Talks. Um, In one of the most productive and most informative polls that I've ever run online, you guys as an audience decided that really you wanted some of the RPG thinking from Drunkens and Dragons to come on over to the podcast here on Runehammer. So I'm obviously for one, all for it. I love talking about game design and in particular, the methods and techniques, specific ones that you can employ at your table to make your game move faster, to have more fun, and just to get more dice rolling. So let's just jump into it. To get things started with RPG Talks, uh, I just wanted to introduce the show. So doing this podcast, we're going to do probably two per month or so, and we're going to cover all of the stuff that would normally be covered in some of my longer YouTube videos on Drunkens and Dragons. Now, those videos will still keep going, but it lets me focus YouTube into the visual element of what I do. And as far as the thought, word, written, design element, it's much easier and I think much clearer to delve into that stuff in the form of a, of a podcast. So that's what RPG Talks is going to be. And this is the very first episode. So it's great to have you. Thanks everyone for supporting Runehammer on Patreon. I really appreciate it. You make it all possible. Uh, So let's just jump in, huh? Mailbag day, mailbag day. Let's go see what's in the mail today. So mailbag day is when I take three uh, messages from my slew of messages that are coming my way and uh, try to give you the best answer I can. And I just want to thank everyone for all the questions and comments that I get on Facebook and YouTube. They're just, there are tons of them. And this could be a great forum to take some of those most interesting ones and the ones that I think could help the most people uh, and just give them in-depth answers rather than the uh, often sort of curt or short form messaging that Facebook can lead to. So we've got three great questions today. Um, The first one is basically a a problem with low intelligence characters in uh, in a tabletop game. Now, it should be in the freedom of, of, of a player to create a low intelligence character. I mean, this is part of the world. This is part of what makes the variability between people interesting. Not everyone is a genius who can decipher runes on an ancient doorway to the crypt of Nazhargun, right? And so low intelligence can actually make a charming character. It can kind of focus their efforts elsewhere and it can leave the the smarts to other characters in the group. And there's numerous uses to have a low intelligence character in your group. But with this particular question that came my way, it's becoming, well, It's becoming a problem at their table, and it's dumbing down their game. So this low intelligence character, the player is using this low intelligence as a sort of an excuse to always be cracking wise, to kind of be, you know, making fun of things, to be always looking for a chance to do a stupid thing as, you know, comic relief or something. 
And this dungeon master who asked me this question is becoming pretty frustrated. Wondered what they could do to help the situation. This is not a game design situation. The player that is exhibiting this behavior is exhibiting just one form of tabletop bullying behavior. That any time that a player is using a character flaw or a character trait to disrupt the game, to make other players feel crummy, or to make the dungeon master feel crummy, to basically be a class clown or to be a, a, a sort of lazy bum who sits in the back, you know, bullies take many forms, but the first step is recognizing that that's what this is. Anytime someone is wanting to hog table time or take away the fun that another person is having, blaming the traits that their character has is not a viable strategy. So what do you do? That's the real question, right? What do I do? I understand what's going on. Well, by acknowledging that it's a sort of a destructive, interruptive um bully style behavior, I think you start to see some steps that you're going to want to try to take. So first of all, use the tribunal method. Tribunal is super valuable and it's a very simple social structure to use. And this is just assemble your, your group away from the game table, you know, maybe over a cheeseburger or a beer or coffee. And just open the table to say, hey, what do you guys like and what do you dislike about the game? Now, if this low intelligence problem doesn't come up, then it's up to you to have the honesty to bring it up and say, well, there's this one thing about this character. It's kind of bringing me down. It's kind of wrecking my fun a little bit. Is that bugging you guys? Because it's a little bit of a bummer. You know, nothing against you, Carl, or whatever the player's name is. But I just don't think maybe you intend it and it's kind of wrecking my fun. Okay, and then you can talk it out. Okay, that's the first step and that's the easy one. If that doesn't work, then you're getting into some more difficult social terrain. And that could involve two common techniques out there, negotiator techniques. One is diffusion and the other is privacy. Diffusion is basically the art of never escalating a conflict socially, but to being brutally, totally honest about your feelings and bringing those to the table and diffusing what is usually desired by um, disruptive people like this is that what they want is conflict. They actually want the attention involved with their disruption. And you can often diffuse it by accepting it, opening up about it, getting it out right on the table in front. And, and that's often very uncomfortable for this bully type um, personality. And so that's diffusion. Diffusion is just not escalating the conflict, but just being fine and kind of rocking on and putting it out in the open. Privacy is almost the opposite. Privacy is, you, you see this on TV shows a lot. They say, may I have a word with you alone? No one does that in real life, like ever, unless you like work for the FBI or something. It is extremely awkward and difficult to ask someone, can we go have a word in private? That is so weird. But if you really want this person in your game, you don't want to switch your game group, you want to follow through with this campaign, you want it to work out, you might have to confront this most difficult level. This is taking a disruptive player aside in private so that they're not, you know, being called out in front of others. And then going back to the exact same thing you said at Tribunal. Dude, it's kind of wrecking my fun. And honestly, I'm kind of taking it a little bit personal that you're sort of playing this this sort of dumb card to kind of wreck the, the, the mood and the fun of the, of the group. 
Like, can that change a little bit? Like, you know, I, I want this group to work out. I'm having fun with it. You can also try this in text. It's a lot less effective, but you can try it in text if you guys have a game group thread that you run on Facebook. So I know none of those answers are easy, but that's all I can offer you. The character is not the problem. Low intelligence characters are great. It's disruptive players. And, and this is actually one step lower than a worse problem, which is disruptive players who use character traits as an excuse, like they make hateful or racist or nasty or sadistic characters, and they blame the character for these behaviors that they want to exhibit personally, that's, that's even tougher. That can be socially complex. And uh, sometimes in those cases, you're, you're best off trying to reform the group without that player. You don't need all that frustration. You're just here to have fun. This isn't a job. So I hope that helps uh, with the question. And, you know, disruptive players are always difficult. And, uh, you know, Cody from uh, Take 20, Taking 20 on YouTube, actually has a funny video about tabletop drama, um, which is really constructive. It's all about setting expectations and being upfront and being honest. And, you know, the advice is going to sound similar across several channels for dealing with these kind of situations. So good luck. And I hope that helped. Okay, our second letter for Mailbag Day today. I'm rummaging around in the mailbag here. Um, we have got a challenge where a character story has actually become more central in the players' minds than the Dungeon Master's intended story. So the, the, the specifics here is that they have a dwarf in their group who's kind of set his mind to rebelling against the current Dwarven king and becoming king himself. Now, especially if that Dwarven king is sort of a tyrant, this is a fantastic storyline that can drive a lot of different subplots and, and, you know, miniature episodes, right? This is really fun with a player coming to the table with this much, like, directed desire. Oh, man, you can mine that desire. You can, you can lure him with it, and then you can take it away, and like, oh, man, it's just great. The problem is the dungeon master had this other big storyline and really no one cares about it. And this sort of rebellion against the king thing is taking center stage. And also the player is sort of walking around, sort of talking down to NPCs like he's already the king. So this dungeon master is feeling a little out in the cold on the whole thing. So what do you do? My advice on this one uh, extends to a lot of different games and a lot of different uh, troubles with story. And that is, and I know this is going to sound tough, but forget about your Dungeon Master story. Just forget about it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just completely let it go. Now, you can have a cool little, you know, maybe it's going to come up someday, but just let it go. Take what drives players and run with it. Just accept that if they have this goal and this desire and they want to be something, just go with it. Just lean in. Now, that's a separate solution than to the he already thinks he's king and he's kind of talking down to NPCs. Okay, that is a different problem. And the world, the fictional world needs to respond to him. If he is talking shit, so to speak, <laughs> then the world needs to say, dude, you're not king. We're going to throw you in jail. And oh, look, here comes the elite guard. They've heard rumors that you've been telling people you're the king. Like, this is this is basically treason. If you don't have those ramifications, repercussions for this kind of flippant behavior in your world, then yeah, players are ambitious. Players can be big-minded. 
and they will walk all over you, but you got to stand your ground, always be magnanimous, be generous, but don't be pushed around either as the dungeon master. You, you are the king in a way. Now you have this meta knowledge that this character wants to usurp your throne, but as a player who's playing the king himself, I mean, you need to show some some sand on this issue. You can't have people walking around saying this kind of stuff. So there need to be repercussions for this group. But the tougher answer that I want everybody to take away from this particular piece of mail is if you do have really strong character stories, and especially if you can see ways that they can unfold in fun ways that lead to honor and valor and friendship and fellowship and love, then lean in and forget about the other story that you wrote. Try it another time or just leave it on the vault, in the vault shelf. But having players that are already bringing story to the table is what you've been dreaming of as a dungeon master. Not a problem. So I know it's a bit of a tough, uh, sort of a hard-nosed answer. But just go for it and uh, hopefully it turns out great. All right, on a related issue, and the reason I chose these three letters today is they all are kind of somewhat related. We have a frustrated dungeon master who he has some players that uh, I don't want to use the word murder hobo because I think it's become so common and funny that it no longer has any gravity. His players have committed a mass murder and really for no reason. They just wanted a boat. And they basically wiped out a fishing village. And this is making it hard for him to maintain tone in his game and to have, you know, gravity to NPCs. And, you know, basically all the the tools that a dungeon master has, if you just have mass murderers walking around, it can be extremely difficult to do anything poetic or nuanced, right? Very common problem in D&D. And it's really, really sad problem. Because to me, it reflects total flippancy on the side of the players, especially if they're all doing it as a group and no one cares that it's basically just burning this world to the ground and just these are all innocent people. And then the the dungeon master starts to have a hard time providing moral motivation for these types of sadistic scum, basically. They're, they're scoundrels. They're, they're awful. They're villains. What do you do? My advice here, if you want to keep the group together and you don't want to just scrap the campaign, because if it were me, I would just, I think I would probably scrap it. I can't stand this kind of behavior. I think it's reflecting of a deeper sociological and psychological phenomenon that I don't want to be around at all. But barring that solution, I think what you need is you can imagine these players as kind of like three-year-old kids running around in your kitchen breaking dishes, okay? Let's use that analogy. They're going to keep on doing that until they are informed that there are consequences. So this three-year-old kid, if every time he breaks a dish, he has to go sit in his room by himself for half an hour, well, very quickly they're going to change. Now, that is a, a substitute for true morality, but if... You're not even getting an inkling of morality. You're going to have to accept a substitute as a starting point. So this is my advice, is you have to put ramifications on these heinous acts. So these guys decimated a fishing village, right? They killed all these innocent people who are just trying to make a living by this, this lake. There is an avenger. 
and the Avenger is is sent by the king, or by royalty, or even by heaven itself to avenge these innocent souls. And this dude or group is nasty. I'm talking 10 times the level of the players with a, an arsenal of spells and different immunities and anti-magic field. And this guy brings it. Now, it's not just you just got killed by a story hook. Don't do that. That's not cool. You have to play within the rules, but you can make a monster who is sent by the souls of these innocent people that were slain to lay low the characters. And that means destroy their gear and kill or jail them. Probably jail them. Killing them ends the story, and that's not that fun, right? So he's here to jail them and destroy their equipment. But when you roll up with this Avenger, you have to be firm and have a very bright heart. So you still got to, these are your friends, remember. You still have to love the game and the fun of the Avenger. But as a game designer, you are dropping the Dark Souls hammer on these guys. But make it fun. Keep your attitude bright. There's still going to be a lot of laughter at the table. But man, this Avenger, he brings the pain. Now, let's say that they defeat the Avenger or the Avenger sort of loses some of his will to smite the characters because the lesson is starting to get learned. That's good. And then he says, I'm watching you from now on. I've been assigned to you and you will conjure me with your evil deeds. Now, is it a little heavy handed? Hell yeah, it's heavy handed. I mean, the players are going to see right through what you're doing. But at this point, you have players who don't care if things are heavy handed. They just slaughtered a village to take a rowboat. So you're not in a place where nuance and story, gently guiding the story, is going to (laughs) effectively steer these guys away from pure evil. So that's my advice. Bring the Avenger. So that is Mailbag Day for today. And let's hear that lovely music to take us out of here. Mailbag Day, Mailbag Day. Let's go see what's in the mail today. Okay, so our final piece for uh, RPG Talks Episode 1 is uh, inspired by and designed by you guys. Now, the idea uh, in our thread that we were running, as many of you know, was to do, as part of RPG Talks, uh, how to run a blank type talk. So this was inspired by the Dragon video that's over on Drunken Dragons, um, which basically was just the direct result of me running several dragon encounters uh, in our game. And I think it's a, it's a fun idea. It's a very direct-to-your-table idea. So keeping things relevant with what I've been running very recently, let's talk about how to run a caster boss. Now, this could also be very relevant because what we were just talking about, about the Avenger, right? This is going to need to be a caster boss. Now, what what is a caster boss exactly? Well, you guys probably know. This is when you realize that throwing uh, 30 more orc warriors at your group is not going to work. They've learned how to use AOE. They learn how to use the environment. They, they can defeat huge groups of goblins or ghouls or whites or gnolls, right? And what you want is a new, different feeling encounter that's tough, that's deadly, that challenges their brains and challenges their stats besides like sword, sword, 
sword, battle axe, sword, shield, right? So, how do you portray this caster villain? And more, uh, more to the to the discussion, how do you mechanically run this caster villain in a way that kicks ass and is memorable and is dangerous and is fun? I got three ideas on this that I'd like you guys to consider. The first one is sort of the standalone, right? There's not 20 of these guys, there's one. And this is exciting for the encounter. Two is lots of movement. You've got to have a lot of movement. Tank and spank on a caster is not fun. It's not really much fun on anything, much less a caster. And then finally, flexible magic. Keep your magic flexible. And this is probably my biggest uh, piece of advice is this flexible magic tip. So let's get through the easier ones first. All right, the standalone. When they meet this enemy, he is up on a, a, a rocky promontory or crag. He's in a ruined fortress. He's in a sanctum sanctorum, right? And, and this tone is important because it's kind of like, oh, this is just one dude. That, that's the tone you want to create. This is, we, we've fought armies before. This is just one guy. What's the big deal? And then he teleports up to the top of the tower and casts lightning bolt. You see what I mean? Like, you need to set this tone. I, I am one. I am many. I am all things. That's the attitude of this caster. This guy is gnarly or this girl, <laughs> this creature, this thing doesn't need an army. Now, if you want to have this caster summon additional monsters as fodder or something, that's fine. But the mood should be this loner mood. They, they encounter this kind of, whoa, there's one of them. Now, a smarter player would be like, this is bad. This is bad. There's only one of them. That's not good, right? And so you want to bring that tone. Okay, so, so try that. And it's going to make your life easier, too, to just have the one. You can focus. Okay, I need to keep this guy from dying, right? I need to keep him moving so they can't pin him down. I need to make sure that he has maybe two or even three actions per turn so he can take on a whole group. I need to know how his spells can combine. And you, you basically can just work into this one character and make them a one-man or one-woman magical fighting machine. Okay, step two, lots of movement. Nothing kills a boss fight more than just having the players close in around it and just termite their way through the hit points. And their hit points are going down and the boss's hit points are going down and then he holds his throat and falls over and dies. That It may be dangerous, it may be a close race, but really it's just a hit point race and like there's just no, your board isn't really playing a role. Uh, by board, I mean your terrain. So you want movement happening. So make sure when you're designing this guy uh, that this mage villain can blip, can, can teleport, can translocate, maybe uses runes on the ground and at those locations he could appear at any one of these locations. Maybe he can self-clone and only one of them is real and that's how he moves. Maybe he's just insanely fast. Maybe he can fly and flying makes it hard to pin him down. Either way, you want to move your characters around the board. Another way to do it is to plant bombs. So if your caster can plant bombs, this will cause everyone to run away and move. Then he can go to a new location, plant a bomb there. Everyone has to run away and repeat, repeat, repeat. Another one with flight is if your caster villain can fly up completely out of range, but sort of like Vermithrax in Dragonslayer. He goes up, there's sort of a pause of tension, and a few moments later he comes thundering back down on the attack. 
And how long is that gap? And can the players learn the the sort of the pattern so that they can be ready for his next sort of swoop, quote unquote? This is very common in dragon battles. So the movement just keeps your players jumping around the board. That's the key. You can do it in numerous ways. But remember, this villain can break a lot of rules and it's okay. This villain kind of blows the character's minds of what's possible in this world including things like teleportation. Finally, the most fascinating aspect of designing and running your caster villain is going to be exactly how you use and execute his arsenal of spells in battle. Now, my advice goes right into episode two of RPG Talks, which is all about making spells easier to use in play. But basically, what you're going to need is a nice big group of spells. You don't want to be doing the same two or three spells over and over because it starts to become very unbelievable. It starts to be, feel very weird, you know? Magic missile, magic missile, magic missile, magic missile. Just like, this is, I don't know. So it's more like if you have eight spells, you get one or two uses each. And those spells need to be notated for your boss in a single line of text. You need really simple descriptions of what these spells do so that you can choose and use very quickly. You don't want to slow the game down with your caster boss. And remember, he might have three actions per turn. So you're casting three spells sometimes. Teleport, Arcane Bomb, and Lightning Bolt. Right? Then Teleport, Fireball and Concussive Wave, then Teleport, Dominate Monster, and Concussive Wave. You you see what I'm saying? And you can even write those flows down if you don't want to decide on the fly during your game. But I, I advise that you do it on the fly because you never know what players are going to do and you want to use those spells to effect. You want to knock players off cliffs. You want to trap players in corners with a bomb. You want to lightning bolt characters with metal armor. You want, to, you want to use things to their fullest. Remember, this is a boss. Be merciless with how your magic combines. Another one could be a spike. If we're talking 5e, could be spike growth and teleport out. So he leaves an area of spikes behind. He teleports. Then they need to run to go fight him. And if you guys know about spike growth, it's like a cheese grater. When you move across it, you take a bunch of damage. So he he's kiting the players. Kiting players with a boss is not a simple thing to execute as a dungeon master. But if you're ruthless and if you look to the spells as your guide for the theme and the flow of how the fight's going to go, you'll find it easier to come up with some of these power strategies, especially if you don't use all your time looking up spells. Just invent them. Looking up spells is for players. You're a dungeon master. You can invent spells that fit your character. I mean, look at like the Witch King of An- Angmar or Gandalf, right? They, they have these kind of crazy kind of spells and magic powers that don't really fit what the other characters are limited to. And that makes it cool. So through making this sort of more simple, more flexible, easy to use magic system, not worrying about slots and charges and all this kind of stuff, you can rip through it quicker and the fun is going to be where it should be, which is on player turns. Just be deadly. Don't hold back. Just go for it. So I hope that helps with how to run A. If you guys want to see some examples of um, spellcaster bosses, 
on my YouTube channel. You can always look for the final boss encounter in um, the in the Moloch series. Uh, also, I did have some spell casting with my twin dragons uh, battle, and then the huge one, which was uh, Anvil Tower. Um, that was where they battled Soth, the character from Dungeons and Dragons, who was actually one of the few. Uh, monsters that my party, that particular party, ever fled from in the entire campaign. I think they were about level eight, and they just had to flee, and that had never happened before. So in my mind, that was a, a fun outcome because our escape what was what was so exciting. It wasn't just killing him or just being killed by him. It was the, the action and the excitement of the escape was really cool. So I hope that helps if you're designing your next caster uh, boss. And we're coming up here on the end of RPG Talks Episode 1. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It's really fun to bring this kind of thinking on over to Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. You make my lifestyle as an RPG storyteller possible. And thanks from the bottom of my hisnart. So I'll see you on the Internet, guys. And until next time, you've been listening to Runehammer.